the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. Sometimes we actually even get to talk about things I care the most about. Questions about God, the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible a great deal, and that's one of my favorite subjects, about how we got the Bible and prophecies fulfilled by Jesus and reliability of the Gospels. So if you want to join me on the program with your question about God, the historical Jesus, about worldviews or world religions, by all means, pick up the phone, dial the number 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935, and of course, uh, Kelly Michaels is doing the production job today. Kelly, welcome to the chair, and thanks for answer, uh, picking up the phone. <laughs> you are certainly welcome, sir. I'm going to begin with the American Minute. These are notable events of American significance, remembered on the date they occurred by my friend William Federer, because today is a very special day at the American Minute, and I I want to read it to you and talk a little bit about it. And this is what it says, quote, His death went unannounced as he died the same day as John F. Kennedy was shot. But his works are some of the most widely read in the English literature. Originally an agnostic, he served in World War I and became a professor at Oxford and Cambridge. His, he credits his Catholic friend and fellow writer J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings, as being instrumental in bringing him to faith in Christ. Among his most notable books are The Screwtape Letters, Miracles, The Problem of Pain, Abolition of Man, and the Chronicles of Narnia, which include the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. His name was Clive Staples Lewis, born November 29th, 1898. Over 200 million copies of his books have sold worldwide. And 40 years after his death, continue to sell a million copies a year. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, quote, All that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy, unquote. C.S. Lewis also wrote, quote, Christianity is a religion You could not have guessed. It's not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It has just that queer twist about it that real things have 
unquote. I had the great privilege of uh, meeting and spending some time with Douglas Grisham, who was Joy Grisham's son and uh, the stepson to C.S. Lewis. We did an event right here in the Front Range that was uh, in part put on by um, the the the. Um, the, the, the people who did the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And then I had him speak at Calvary South Denver. And then I had the great privilege of, of making an almost hour drive to the airport. And we spent a, a great uh, conversation. He's he, a grip of, Douglas Grisham, I asked him the question, who did you want to be the voice of Aslan in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe? And in that great voice of his, he said, why me, of course. (laughs) He goes, it was only when the production people came to me, they had some guy named Liam Neeson that they wanted to do the voice, and I only reluctantly agreed. Um, Because he, by the way, is the, uh, he received all of the inheritance of C.S. Lewis. Did you know that? Kelly Michaels, Douglas Grisham was, um, he, he, C.S. Lewis left in his will to his stepson. I did not. Yeah. So he had the uh, intellectual property rights to the estate rights of C.S. Lewis. And, um... Again, in that popular book series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Well, I'll give out the phone number again, 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about C.S. Lewis, you know, in The Chronicles of Narnia, several books of which have been adapted into feature films. And other well-known writings by Lewis include The Screwtape Letters, Mere Christianity, and The Great Divorce, as well as a science fiction trilogy, um, which is outstanding. And uh, from a religious standpoint, if you want to use that term, he was an Anglican. But as you can imagine, Catholics, Anglicans, Protestants, everyone wants him with them. (laughs) C.S. Lewis endures as a popular writer among Christians in all denominations, probably because he has this strange capacity to combine art and scholarship and faith. And so in terms of his impact, C.S. Lewis is often described as one of the greatest Christian apologists of the 20th century. I have a a, a wonderful friend, who I, a, a dear friend who I've known for, can you believe it, almost 40 years now. Um, you're probably familiar with him. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. He's actually filled in on this program, Kelly Michaels, as a guest host. Yep, he's been a guest and a guest host. Can you believe that? And he's written a book called uh, The Reality of God. So we're hoping to get him on. He had some uh, health issues, but we're going to we're still working hard to get him back. But if you were to ask somebody like Lee Strobel about who's the greatest apologist of the 20th century there towards the top of the list would clearly be C.S. Lewis. And um, the great strength of his writing is connecting spiritual ideas to everyday experience. I think that that's one of the genius of Lee Strobel as well. You know, he writes like a journalist, like, you know, he's reporting for 
and he grew up as a journalist for the Chicago, um, I think it was the Chicago Tribune. And, um, and so he writes in such an accessible way. And that's exactly the same with Lewis. He wrote with such simplicity, but profundity. And rather than grappling with convoluted philosophy, his best writings explain Christianity in terms that are easily understood by all readers. And so, again, it's that simplicity that brings about the genius, but it's a simplicity that that clearly is still marked with deep, profound insights. So for Lewis, faith in Christ wasn't some irrational leap in the dark. Instead, it was a submission to common sense and history and life itself. And so the ability to present Christianity in a clear, personal way, well, that's what made him such a remarkable human being. And so, yeah, on this date in history, um, C.S. Lewis went to heaven. Yeah, notable. He and John F. Kennedy died the same day, but there was a third person who died that year in 1963. I don't know if it was the exact same date, but I think it was in November of 1963 that another great saint went to heaven, A.W. Tozier. (laughs) Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so grateful that we have some updated bumper music, but that song in particular is so good. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? (laughs) You know, that that expression, it's as if, you know, do you have unlimited time, like somebody's making more. You know, the Bible talks about it's appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. And one of the things I, you know, have let you know that um, for God only knows. I had the the incredible. I'm trying to use the, my words carefully. I found myself in Amman, Jordan, the day of October 7, 2023, when terrorist attacks on Israel by Hamas took place. And that, of course, is dominating the news. You know, I've been talking about hostages and hostage exchange, and I've talked a little bit about uh, what the Bible talks about when it talks about kidnapping and hostages and what does it even mean for the captives to be set free. But these events place the wider Arab-Israeli conflict under a a kind of a microscope, an ever-increased scrutiny. So I've had the opportunity to talk about the history and prophecy surrounding this place in the Middle East. People are asking me about um, the future. And, of course, part of the challenge for me is in order to understand what the Bible says about the future, we have to understand a little bit about what the Bible has said in the past about the place, God's plan for the people of Israel and the Jewish people in the future. And so um, 
then you you weave into this discussion Israel's neighbors and uh, God's plan. So so when I when I use the term, um, does God have a future and a plan for the Jewish people? The answer is yes. Some people take. Um, Umbridge. They're, they're a little upset by that because they think that I'm implying that God has no plan for Arab people or for Middle Eastern people or Persian people or Egyptian people. But oddly enough, nothing could be further from the truth because the Bible talks about people groups and God's plan for that people group. And by the way, the Bible story is is not just a story about God fulfilling promises for Jewish people, but God fulfilling promises for Gentile people in the person of Jesus. But now think about the great big world in which you're living in. Think about uh, pro-Hamas rallies and protests. And you've heard that expression, from the river to the sea. And then it's sometimes combined with that expression, Palestine will be free. Well, Israel's territory is bounded by the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the Jordan River on the east. And some interpret the words from the river to the sea as a plea for peace and equal rights for Palestinians. But for others, the only thing they think of when they hear from the river to the sea is genocidal murder of every Jew currently occupying the nation of Israel. I have a friend who I was talking with today who um, has heard quotes about Hamas and the Hamas charter, but he decided to read the charter in its entirety. Now, the charter itself was originally published in the Arabic language, and but it's been translated into English. And if you read the charter in its entirety, it clearly spells out the desire to remove every single Jew living in the Middle East, not just in Israel, but in Egypt, Lebanon, or wherever Jews might be found. And so common use of language doesn't always follow strict definitions. Slogans are especially subject to interpretation. So imagine some people might have good intent but from the river to the sea is usually associated, at least for Jewish people, with a deeply anti-Semitic um, ideal. In other words, when a, when a Jewish person hears that, they're thinking, you want them dead. And so as a result, I'm going to suggest that followers of Jesus probably should refrain from using that expression. But at the same time, Christians should be gracious when we respond to people who are repeating it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so if we're going to be reasonable, we need to be able to say, Hey, could you tell me what you mean by that? And then explain to them the phrase from the river to the sea, by the way, was a popular slogan that was used um, in the years prior to the Six-Day War 50 years ago. But I'll talk more about that here in a moment. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Patty in Boulder. Hi. Welcome to the program. 
Hi, Dino. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, you're welcome. So I have a question that's a little bit different than what you're talking about. You know, we seem to have a really bad connection. Are you on a speakerphone or something? It sounds really muddy. Yeah, sorry. Is this better? That's a little bit better, but, yeah, um, yeah, speak loudly and clearly. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm curious how when churches like I was looking at the um, the Methodist Church or the Episcopalians or the Reformed Jews, when they look at certain issues in the Bible, they seem to be pretty clearly stated and decide that that's not really what they mean. And it, it came up um, for me with homosexuality. And uh, I have a friend that um, they have exchange students right now, and she happens to be a rabbi uh, of the Reformed Church, but one of her exchange students is a, a Christian from I- Iberia, and he's been a little bit surprised that our stance in America on homosexuality, and apparently I looked up the Reformed Church accepts homosexuality. Right. And I was I was just curious how, I mean, I looked up on gotquestions.org, and it seems pretty clear in Leviticus because I was like, well, maybe that their Bible doesn't mention it, but in uh, it does, <laughs> I think. So it just made me wonder how these churches can decide um, that whatever God has said no longer applies. And then I also was curious if the Jewish Bible, the first five verses differ from our Bible in any way. Well, the way I would answer, let's start with the last question first, because the first five books of the Bible, what's called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is exactly like ours. And and okay. so and so the the question you're asking is a difficult question, because part of the answer to your question is it depends on how you read the Bible. So imagine you're looking at the Bible and you see it as a collection of suggestions that were written by people in antiquity that it might have value as an interesting way of looking at things in the past, but that it has no relevance or little relevance or different relevance in in the present so to your question imagine that different groups have a different idea about the inspiration inerrancy and infallibility of the bible they have a different view of 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 how to think about what it says and what it means by what it says and so as as you can imagine there's a thing called biblical literalism. Now, biblical literalism is just simply the idea that what it says, it actually means. But that doesn't mean that there's no allegories or figures of speech, but I can hear the music playing. If you don't mind staying for a little bit, I'll I'll try and answer your question, okay? Okay, thank you. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. I've been talking with Patty in Boulder, and you were asking the question about um, why certain people don't seem to believe what the Bible either condemns or celebrates. 
And so imagine the Bible condemns sin <laughs> and celebrates righteousness. And to your question, well, are they reading the Bible differently than how we're reading the Bible? And I think that the answer is yes. It isn't the Bible that's different. It's the way they read it. So imagine you're a person and you say, I think that the Bible's interesting. But I think that the Bible is wrong about homosexuality. Or I believe the Bible is wrong about gay marriage or, or transgenderism or preferred pronouns. And so, so if you ask that person, well, what, which parts of the Bible do you believe? They'll, they'll say the, one, the parts that I agree with. But but what that means, Patty, you've already figured this out, that there's a, there's not a subtle shift. There's a dramatic shift of authority Well, where the authority isn't the Bible. The authority is the person reading the Bible. And that's not healthy because it's not true. The Bible doesn't claim that you and I are the authority. The Bible claims that, that it's God's word. That's what it says about itself and that God has spoken on certain subjects, and he's spoken fairly clearly on those subjects. I'm willing to concede that there are certain subjects that have a, a degree of ambiguity, but there are there's no ambiguity when it comes to sexual immorality. But again, that, that it seems to me like I can say that, but you have, to me, I mean, you're held to a higher authority than me, I'm, I'm guessing, because you are leading people, right? Well, I mean, you're uh, going to... But, but remember, you believe that on the basis of what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah, but, but they must have some process, right, or some procedure that they go through that says, okay, because okay, how do you how do you parse and say, okay, well, yeah, this is true literally, and this is not. Okay, so we have to go back a little bit. So you, you brought up a number of different quote-unquote denominations or whatever. And right. so imagine, imagine you're growing up in a liberal denomination that has a wrong view of the inspiration of the Bible, inerrancy and infallibility. They, don't, they actually don't believe that. And because they don't believe that, they're growing up in a tradition where inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility – is something that is determined by their particular denomination. So the doctrine of inspiration comes from the Bible itself. The, the Bible's God breathed. And so imagine they grow up in a world where they go, I think it's inspired like Gone with the Wind is inspired or, or you know, uh, Ernest Hemingway is inspired, but it isn't authoritative and binding so, so what makes something authoritative and binding? So to your point, you would, yes, you are right. They go through some sort of process. They come to some sort of conclusion. But if you come to a conclusion where, where you says, where, are, where is the source of authority about what you believe? And if they say, I'm the source of authority versus the Bible is the source of authority versus the person who says my interpretation of the Bible is the source of authority. So yeah, it's 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 fairly complex. There's lots of reasons why people deny that the Bible is true. And it yeah. usually has something to do with 
a painful revelation. I talked about this a couple of days ago when I said many, many people are not, they're troubled by the fact that there's permanent eternal punishment for sin. In other words, that hell is a real place. Right. So they're troubled by it. And I even admitted I'm sometimes troubled by it. But then I said, but you know what? How many people do you know are troubled by the thought of perfect justice? They're, in other words, what if you actually do have, what if the Lord is not mocked? What a person sows, they reap. What if human beings are in fact accountable to God in his holiness and perfection? And you, you realize that's pretty troubling if you're a sinner. In other words, criminals are troubled by perfect justice. But if imagine if you're a criminal and you get perfect justice, but imagine if you're a criminal and there's grace and mercy and forgiveness available to you because a person is willing to pay your fine or serve your sentence. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel message that you're not perfect and that God knows it. So he sends his son who loves you to be the perfect substitute for the crime that you've committed and the punishment that you deserve. That's the gospel. But guess what? These people don't really believe the gospel. Yeah. Okay. So when I'm having conversations with those kinds of people, I'll I'll just simply ask them, tell me what you believe about the Bible, which parts are true and which parts are false. Yeah. And then let them say for themselves the parts I agree with. (laughs) Yeah. And, And now you know their view of authority, inspiration, preservation, translation. Yeah. And all of those things are important to you because you take the Bible seriously. So imagine, again, a a person might say, I take the Bible seriously, but not serious enough to actually believe it. Right. So that's the best I can do, I think. Okay. So how... In 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 working or talking with this young man, I mean, the best I can say is, you know, you need to, you know, I believe what the Bible says, and I think you do too. But, I mean, the, the most, I said, what we need to do is still love the pe- person, and and it's our job to tell them what the Bible says, and that's it. Yeah, I is, think. I mean, is there anything else I should say? Or? Well, I, I wouldn't assume that he does. I would basically say uh, I can share with you what I believe about the Bible. And no, I, I know that's what he and, believes. Well, the, young, I, the, the one I'm I, taking to church. <laughs> well, oh well, I wouldn't presume. I would just say, I, I would say, I, I don't want to presume anything. Why don't you tell me exactly what you believe about the Bible? Yeah. Um, and he might say, What do you mean by that? And I go, tell me about your own views. Is it authoritative? Is it inspired? Is it yeah. um, inerrant? Is it that means? Is it without error? Do, does it actually? Is it God breathed like it it suggests? You you tell me what you think about it. And well, he was relieved when he was his beliefs were confirmed in the church that homosexuality was wrong. Right. If he's relieved by that, then that's good. But but again, 
I, what I would want to know is, is he relieved by everything else that it's? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I would ask him, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but I would just ask him about if he's born again. Yeah, he is. I know he is. So. Okay. Th- that's good news. That's good news. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, he's you... very, uh, he's very, he's very committed. I would cool. say much more committed than I was at 16. <laughs> well, so anyway, so, well, thank you for your call. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Her question really is an important question because um, how does the translation process impact the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of the Bible? And those are really important questions. Inspiration, preservation, translation. The Bible that you have in your hand, when you open it to the chapter and the verse, can you trust it? The short answer, of course, is yes. But I think people want to know more. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Daniel, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for taking my call, brother. I'm on my sick, sick bed, COVID, third time, oh, wow. and I'm miserable. But I want to wow. hear something funny. It says, "Think yourself happy," and you. I'm your brother Italian. I'm your. I'm your. I'm your brother uh, Christian. I'm your brother. Uh, not claiming Republican or Democrat, and I'm. And I just want to know exactly where "Think yourself happy" is. And you also said there's two type of people: uh, Italians. I wish they were Italians. Yeah, Italian so people re- and people re- who wish they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got me laughing already. All right. Yeah, thanks, man. yes, well, yes. Oh man, you're special, man. You're special. It makes my day. Just get well, I can log I can log time on on I've been sick for like six days and I can log time on uh your well, two hour program. You know, so and great. I'm so sorry I'm so sorry to you know, I had COVID um in twenty twenty towards the I guess it was towards the end of the year. Maybe it was the beginning of of 21, mm-hmm. but I, and I, I didn't have to be hospitalized, but I did have to go to urgent care because I had double pneumonia, but oh, did, man, so, that's so, so, but so I'm glad I went in the sense that it made my wife, you know, again, you shouldn't yeah. self-diagnose pneumonia and pneumonia can be deadly. So obviously uh-huh. we need to make sure that we get the best medical care available so that we mm-hmm. we do what we need to do but what i'm thinking about so this is your third time um so i i and i'm sorry i, I lee strobel who i was talking about earlier he mm-hmm. he said he got it for the third time and i have so many oh. friends i've have so many friends who have gotten it uh again and even for a third time so i suspect wow. I suspect, like you, that that there are that this is something that's going to be with us for a while. 
until the Lord comes back. That's not back. good. That's so, not good. I'm so, amazing. And as you can imagine, some people do better with it, and some people don't do well at all. But mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about, it, it, it isn't, you know, obviously I, lo- I love to make people laugh, but I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm in, in Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves okay. those who are crushed in spirit. So, oh. again, when you're sick, sometimes the pain becomes the loudest voice in our life or the the misery mm-hmm. or the the discomfort or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I'm reminded of Psalm 55, 22, where it says, cast your cares on the Lord. He'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. And then Mm -hmm. one of my favorite passages of all is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I think this is the answer to almost every question I've ever asked. And I, I, you know, obviously I've, I've devoted my life to answering people's Bible questions. But to me, the biggest answer I've ever received from the Bible was Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so those three words, come to me, gives me permission to tell people on this program, go to him. Jesus has given us permission. He's, he's the one who said, come to me. And so what I would encourage you is if, if, if you're a guy who, if there's only one passage of Scripture, I could encourage you to memorize, underline, write it out, put it on your refrigerator, put it next to your bed, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come mm-hmm. to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And, you know, sometimes we think of weary and burdened as I'm working too hard, I'm exhausted, and I can't work at all. But for people who are sick and this and and inconvenient, you know, obviously sickness ranges from inconvenienced to, you know, you're you're in time out. And it's it's a hard time. Mm-hmm. But what I would yeah. do is, is I would take advantage of that time, and I would say, go to him and say, Jesus, I'm in time out right now. You've given me some little extra time to read my Bible, to pray, mm-hmm. to spend some time with you. And um, and so, but that expression, come to me. You know, people say, well, what do I do? Go to him. Go to him. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And so you can go to him, and he, he will care for you. Because he's, he's, he's promised, it because you go, Hey, wait a minute, you know what? I've given you my life, and I trust you. And so um, I'm going to trust you with my future. And Paul writes about this. He says, the outward person is perishing, but the inward person is being renewed day by day. And um, I have some friends who had mild symptoms, and I had friends who had severe symptoms, and I've actually had friends who have died from COVID. Like, oh Lord, oh Lord. So, so again, you know, we thank God that that. Um, 
if you if this is if you're on time number three, then the chances are you've developed some pretty robust immunity. And I hope that you have a good doctor and people who love you and care about you who can steer you with, with good information about how best to treat your your illness. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Gino. That's a pep talk, no doubt. And uh, I did I did want to know exactly where that was, so I can if it's if you tell me what book it's in or what passage it is about thinking yourself happy, you know. And I just think of some of the things you've said, so I'm you know sustaining me, no doubt. But what, well, what does know, it say? Thank yourself happy. Doesn't it say that somewhere in the Bible? No, no, it doesn't. But there is something interesting that the Bible does say. The Bible says, mm-hmm. "As a man." thinks thinks in his heart so is he so when you're when you're when you were talking about that i couldn't help but think of proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 where in mm-hmm. the old king james it says for as he <clears throat> thinks in his heart so is he eat and drink says he to thee but his heart is not with thee and so part of that mm-hmm. proverb is interesting it, it it's basically saying what you think about the most is probably the best indicator of who you are. And so A.W. Tozier basically said, what a man thinks about God is the best indicator of who he really is. And I would add to A.W. Tozier, not that I'm anybody or I can add anything, but I would add what God thinks about you is even more important. So as a man thinks in his heart, so so is he. And so as you're thinking, as you're contemplating, as you're reflecting, and you go, who am I really? What do I really believe about, well, about my life, about my current circumstances, and about my future? And you, might, you yourself might even be unclear on those things. But guess what? Jesus gives you permission to think about it. Mm. Brother, wise counsel, I believe that you said it, that settles it. (laughs) And the word word says it, Matthew 11, 28. Yes, go to him. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. And you you go, there it is, Lord, you said it. You invited me to go, so I'm going. (laughs) Okay. Okay, man, I appreciate your time, man. Hey, Listen, thanks. you know, I, 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 I think I'm going to recall, man, and we can tell you how I bounced back. And, Can't and wait God's to hear. Me, God Can't. made me resilient. Love you, man. You're, 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 you're tough. You're tough. Can't wait to hear. Hey, God bless you. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.